0: Hey, Merry Christmas, hope you all had a, a good Christmas, you online, I hope you had a good Christmas, it was packed in here on Christmas Eve and now it's, it's the, the faithful who could make it through Christmas Day and still get up, <laughs> Christmas Day is usually marked in our household getting up too early and staying up too late, eating too much food, and I have to admit this morning I rolled out of bed and I was like, we have church, <laughs> but it's good. So I, I pray that you are blessed, as I have already been blessed, just being here and the Spirit's moving, and we are here to worship God this day, and just uh, thinking about how He has called us to live a life that pursues Him, and what that looks like in the world around us. So um, the, this is a one-off, it's not in a series, we're going to be in Titus chapter 2 today, And I just entitled this sermon A Fit Life because Titus is going to start talking to us today in just a few short verses about what it looks like to live as a Christian. He's not going to so much dive into all the doctrine, but he's going to talk about the life we show, the life that people see. And that's important. So let's pray, and then I'll invite you to turn to Titus chapter 2 if you have your Bibles, um, or you can. Follow along on the screen, and again, if you don't have a Bible, the Bible's in the chair. Those are free gifts for you. You may take that if you would, if you would like to do so. Um, but let me pray, and then we'll get over to Titus chapter 2. Father, we, we thank you. You're so good. You're so good to us. And just that word saying good, it's just, it falls short. It falls way short. From the depth of our soul, we just want to express, God, just a gratitude to you. A gratitude for the salvation that comes in Christ Jesus. That has filled many of us this past week with a lot of joy, just reflecting on the coming of the Savior, the first Advent, Christmas, just overflowing joy, knowing that we are. Children of God, those who have received him, have been made, born again. It's a promise that you fulfilled to us. We're so thankful. And Father, you're, you're so good to just keep transforming our lives as well. To, to transform us into what was lost in the fall. And so today, as we look at at your revelations, we look at the scriptures, Holy Spirit, teach us, guide us, help us to understand what it means to really be disciples of Jesus and what that looks like in our community here today. We want to be able to walk in the fullness of Jesus, Father. So will you Help us in this moment. We know you will. We're asking, help us in this moment. Transform us. Help us to get a glimpse of what a fit life looks like in Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Just a few short verses. This is what Titus writes. Or just what Paul writes to Titus, sorry. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This is the word of the Lord for us. In Titus, we have this awesome verses There's just an exhortation to live your life in front of an unbelieving world, to live your life in Christ in front of those who need to see a transformed life. And so Paul, in his letter to Titus, Titus was left on the island of Crete to minister. So here's a map, if just to kind of familiarize ourselves again with it. It's down here in the Mediterranean Sea. You'll see that there is Crete there in the middle. And so he, he's on this island, it's about 150 miles long, it's 35 miles wide. During this time, it had approximately 100 little cities, and had a very vast topography of mountains and fertile valleys, so it kind of looked like this. Uh, so you had the mountains, and then they come down, you have the fertile valleys, and this is just a little town that's there today, this is what it looks like, and some of you are thinking, I think I need to do some mission work, <laughs> Right? Suffering for Jesus in Crete, that would be great, you know. It looks beautiful. It's a beautiful island right there in the Mediterranean. During this time, there's about 300,000 people living on the island. Most of them wanted to keep their language. Uh, So he's dealing with a mixing of culture because of the Romans' occupation and and those who were there. The Cretans are uh, descendants of the uh, Philistines. And so he's working in this area and also in this uh, is where they believe uh, in mythology anyway, where they were holding to the birthplace of Zeus was on Mount Ida. And so there's the mountain. So in mythology, they said, oh, that's where Zeus comes from, from here. So you have, this is where Titus is. He's in this culture, in this place. And this is kind of this mixing pot, and so, you know, what do you say to a young minister who's who's taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to a people there? Like, what do you say to him to encourage him? what What do you want him to to really get the church, the early church, those early gatherings to focus on? Well, when Paul wrote to Timothy, if you look at those letters, you'll see that they're heavily focused on doctrine. So with Timothy, he says, focus on doctrine, on right belief, have those conversations about what people believe, why they believe it, like focus on the the doctrine of the gospel. But to Titus, Paul actually focuses on the life of the believer. So what about us today? Well, To be honest, Paul doesn't pick one over the other exclusively. When he's talking to Timothy, he's talking to Titus, he's not saying, okay, well, here we're just only going to do doctrine, and over here we're just going to do, you know, live the gospel and use words if necessary kind of thing. We're not just exclusively doing these things. It's actually a both and. But what he's doing is he's looking at the circumstances of the people involved, and he's trying to exhort the church to do both, but have proper understanding of their circumstances, of the times. What does your culture look like today? What does it look like right now? So doctrine is important. So we can't say it's not important. It is very important. It's important and how we live is also important. In fact, our lives will be a reflection of the doctrine we believe. The way you live reflects what you believe deep down in the core of who you are. So if you're watching It doesn't matter who they are. If you're watching them and just seeing the decisions they make and the things they do, they may say, oh, I believe, whatever. But if you watch the decisions and the things they do, it tells you what's in the core, what's really there, what's really driving their decisions, what they really believe. Doctrine drives behavior. It drives how we live, what that looks like. So the two go hand in hand. But for the unbelieving world around us and in Titus's area here on Crete, he's saying they need to see it. They really need to see it. I mean, if you're, if you're familiar with uh, Missouri, they're called the show me state. It's where my brother was born, and he is definitely a mule. <laughs> Very stubborn. Why? You have to show me. Prove it to me. Let me see it. We have the expression, seeing is believing, right? And so he's saying that to Titus, and he's also saying that to us. Hey, people need to see the gospel has changed you, that your life is different. It doesn't look like the world around you. The decisions you make are different because they're centered on Christ. They need to observe it. That's a strong testimony. And so that's what he's saying to the to Titus here, he's saying, show this gospel to those who are there on the island of Crete. Make sure the church is living in the fullness of the gospel. That's going to win many people to Christ. People need to see that your life has been changed by this story of Jesus, by this gospel of Jesus, by this good news. If you say, oh, I go to church and you're living like everyone else, well, what's the point of going to church? Like, I, If you're just like everyone else, the world will look at you and say, well, I'm just as good as you are. And I don't have to go to church. I don't have to give up my Sunday. But if they see something different, they're going to start asking, why? Why do you act that way? Why does your church believe that way? You mean there's more people that are weird like you? Like you all believe that? You all do that? Like, why do you do that? Let's talk about, oh, Christmas is very different for you. Why is it different? What is this about? Like, as we live this out, it causes people to question, to want to know. They want to, they, we just got done singing. There's, there's something better. There's a better life. We all know that in the core of our soul. We know there's a better life out there. We look at the world and we say, this is not right there's got to be something better. And then we see those followers of Jesus living for him, and they say, what is it that they have? Because there's joy, there's peace, there's a kindness, a goodness, a gentleness to them, there's self-control, there's something different, there's something other. I want to know why they live the way they do. It's that, it's that gospel testimony in our living Verse 11, it says this. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Christ's coming is that physical, tangible expression of God's grace for man. I mean, think about it. We talk about the grace of God. The best place to look is in the person of Jesus Christ. You want to see grace and truth? Look no further than the physical appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, for us. Jesus came, took on flesh to bring salvation for all people. For all people. And I think that's important for us to to think about here because Paul's writing to Titus, and Titus is the only Greek who has a letter addressed to him in the New Testament. And he's telling Titus that all people... Christ came for, that Jesus is a Savior for all, not just those who identified as the Jews, but for all people. So he says, Titus, you're on this island with a mix of people from different places, different cultures, backgrounds. They have different stories, and it's all getting smashed together, and you're under Roman rule and all that. He's like, it doesn't matter. Jesus came for all of them. He came to save all of them. So live a life that will persuade each and every person you're around to come receive that salvation. If we have a Savior, if Jesus appeared bringing salvation, if we have a Savior, the question is, what does he save us from? And this is, this is that area that people don't like to think about. They don't like to think about sin. They don't like... This idea, in fact, our culture many times will say, well, people are good naturally. Like deep down, most people are good, or all people tend to be good. They just make bad choices. No, they're dead. They're evil. They're wicked. They're fallen. We need to be saved from sin. There's one uh, apologist who was asked if you had 30 minutes to sit with someone and share the gospel with them. How would you divide the time? And he said, well, I'd spend the first 20 to 25 minutes convincing them that they're a wretched sinner in need of a savior. And then the last five minutes will be easy because I'll just show them the savior. That's, that's our, what our culture needs. We need that wake up, that reality check, that, hey, we're not as good as we thought. We're not in a situation that is as comfortable spiritually as we understood it to be. See, Paul's understanding of sin, that's man's rebellion against God and his character, his understanding of sin was so radical from the world that he was in, his view of a rescue only has one option. And Paul's view of that rescue is justification by Christ alone, through faith alone, by God's grace alone. The Jews had placed work and grace together in their, in their system of belief. Even some, and I'll put this in quote, Christian churches have lessened what sin is and how man is justified even today. There's this idea of I can work, I can do enough. Maybe it's a scales mentality. If I do enough good things, it outweighs the bad things. And so when I stand before God, hopefully my good side is heavy, but sin. You still have sin. You haven't gotten rid of it. It has to be paid for. The wages of sin is death, is separation from God. Holy, holy, holy God, you will be separated from for all eternity. And so Paul says there's only one way that we can be saved. is through Christ. And even in our churches today, and I'm I'm using this loosely, this idea of churches in, in this moment. In our churches today, I look around our landscape and it grieves me because we've lessened what sin is. We don't like it. It's not comfortable. We don't want to say how man should live in light of what God has said. So we say, well, God, like the snake in the garden, surely God didn't say. He meant this. Or, oh, it was just for that time. Or it was just for that culture. Or really, he didn't mean that. He meant this. And we lessen it and we water it down to the point to where who needs a Savior anymore? Who needs the church anymore? We have to show that there is a need to be saved. That transformed life shows that we needed to be saved. When we start living differently, they say, why do you live that way? You say, because the dead man died with Christ. He lived that way. The new man doesn't live this way. This guy was in sin. This guy has been freed from sin. So now the life I live, I live for Christ. So it's different. It's very different. And this isn't to be harsh, to beat people over the head. It's just they need to see a marked difference. They need to see the church is other. And so we need Savior. Sin means that we have missed the mark of God's glory. Romans 3, 23, we read this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I know we have several in here. I'm just looking over here. You guys all do archery together. Anybody else do archery? Stan, you shoot. Anybody else shoot archery? Golly, okay, so I'm the odd man out. Congregationally, yeah, Rob, we all shoot arch okay so this this passage you're gonna love it because it's talking about taking aim at a target and missing it (laughs) like an archery that would probably be me out there shooting just oh i don't know where that arrow went that's our life trying to hit the holiness of god we take aim and we fall short we miss the mark that's what he's saying here in Romans 3:23, he's saying, "We have all sinned by missing the mark." So we're not holy. We're not righteous. We're not good. That's hard. That's hard. We fall short. So we need a savior. Galatians 3:10 through14. for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. What is Paul saying here to the Galatian church? He says, Those of you who are saying, oh, I'm good enough, I can do it. I'm just going to do the religious thing. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray enough. I'm going to give enough. I'll do the mission trip when it comes up. I'll, I'll, you know, the toys for tots at Christmas or the the bags. I'll do all this stuff. Like, I'll do all of this. And he says, well, you better do it perfectly because to be justified by the law, you must be perfect. And you can't break any of it. He says, so we know that that's not going to happen. That's not how we're justified. He says, we're justified by Christ who pays our sin debt for us. So, if you add it to your salvation, you have to be perfect. Can't do it. None of us can. I mean, even this morning, I've already not been perfect. <laughs> he says, so by faith, we receive new standing through Christ. We, we were cursed to perish, but Jesus dies for us. He became a curse for us. So now we are under grace and given new life. So verse 11 again, it says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. For the grace, Jesus has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. He he reiterates this, Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. He reiterates it. But when the So Christ has appeared. What's he say? First of all, think about the salvation you have. How do you live a transformed life? First of all, you have to just be in awe of the salvation that you have received. Just have to be in awe of Jesus, like what he's done, how he's appeared for you, how he's renewed you, how he's taken sin away from you, given you righteous standing, made you an heir, how he's done these things to to save you. And then verse 12 says this, training us. So he has appeared, he has saved us, and verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. This new life, this new life that Christ gives us, it trains us, it transforms, it changes, it makes us stronger It makes us us approach sin no longer as a victim, but as a victor. We have overcome it through the blood of the Lamb. And so we are being changed and made new. Christ's work changes how we live. And that means it changes what people see. It changes what they see. An upright, godly life in this present age. Even in the beginning stages of new life, people see a difference. When I was a young Christian, received the gospel in college. So on a baseball team and did all the stuff that the athletes did, went to the parties, did all the stuff, did the drinking, running around, all that kind of stuff, and I received Jesus. And he started transforming me miraculously as only he can do in that moment. Was I perfect? No. But when he changed the way I talked, stopped swearing and cussing and using filthy language and coarse joking, and guys were like, well, that's weird. Like, Rob doesn't talk like that anymore. Stop going to the parties. It's like, I shouldn't be there. I don't need to be doing that. They're like, well, don't, don't tell Rob. I became known as a Bible thumper. I didn't even read the Bible yet. And I was a Bible beater or a Bible thumper at my school. There was a marked difference. They're like, this guy's not living like the rest of us anymore. So let's exclude him. Let's push him aside. But there were other guys that were saying, why are you changed? What is going on? Just this past year, I had a great conversation with one of my buddies off of that baseball team. His name is Jay Corgle, and he was one of our shortstops in second baseman. He kind of was between the two positions. He came to receive Christ uh, when I was in college a couple of years in. He watched. He went to church with us one day, Preacher gives the invitation. He pops up. I'm like, dude, sit down. Like, this isn't the time, you know? And he's like, no. He goes up there. He receives Jesus. And I talked to him this year. I'm like, Jay, how's your life going? What's going on? And he's like, you know, the Lord is good. He says, I'm a worship pastor in my church. He was watching. People are watching you. You don't know what God's going to do, but they're watching And God will take even the the broken missteps of a young faith or a faith that's growing and trying to get on track. They watch. They see the struggle. They see you going through it. And they're like, but that's different. That's not like everyone else. And God uses it. Paul encourages Titus to remind the church of the gospel of Jesus and to allow Christ to train them in such a way that their lives reflect it. Be trained, be built up. Like in the gym, you go and you train. Have <laughs> you ever seen those, those things where the guys and gals they, they do the workouts and they like the first it's the before and after and they're standing there like you know, and they you know and they got the newspaper and it's like here's the date, here's today, you know. And then it's like sixty days later and they're like, Here's the newspaper, here's today, you know, and they're like and there's this big transformation. They're why? Because they're actually training. Right, you can see they actually did the program. They did the workouts. They did all the stuff. Right, they're they're being trained. Their body's being disciplined and trained. That's exactly what Jesus is doing with us through the Holy Spirit. He's disciplining us. He's training us. He's transforming us. Now, some of us, we we accepted the gospel and we're like, here I am. I got the gospel, and it's like we got to get trained. You're like, yeah, that looks hard. I'm just gonna stay right here. This is nice. Like I'm I'm in now. He wants to change us. He wants to transform us. We have to yield to the Spirit. We have to yield to the Word. We have to let Him work in our lives. And you know what? When we do that, yes, the training can be difficult at times, but when we do that, it increases joy and, and the benefits of being trained spiritually. It increases exponentially our experience of walking with God, what it looks like, and how we are able to just have more peace and, and assurance and hope and the way we look at the world, it just transforms. So he says to them, your love for people, your joy for Christ in the midst of life, the the peace that you have in difficult trials, the patience that you show in continuing to endure, the kindness in the face of uncivility and harsh attitudes that you have, the goodness towards all people with with a, a matching Mindset of goodness towards everyone. Like you don't just differentiate. The faithfulness to be those things mentioned above. Walking with Christ. Gentleness for people who are hurt, confused, anxious, depressed, desperate. Having self-control. Not allowing the old ways to overcome the new life you've received. He says all of this. All of this transformation in all these different areas all attract people to Christ, because it's not like any other person or any other worldview that's in this world. So it opens an opportunity, as we hear so often recently with the, with the Christmas special of uh, oh gosh, it just flew out of my mind. They were in the movies. Somebody Chosen, Thank you. They say, "Come and see." Right? Come and see. Here's a before and after picture for you car enthusiasts out there. On the left, that's you before Jesus. (laughs) You're like, I got four wheels, and it can roll. Maybe if you push me down the hill, the motor's missing there. But, you know, we're going. Life, we can make it work, I guess. That's us before, trying to make it work. We receive the gospel, and he transforms us into something beautiful, different, powerful, That's what he wants us to become, this this transformed, new, spirit-filled worshiper. It opens opportunities, the way we live. Verse 13, he says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So where do we look? Where do we look When we become overwhelmed, weary, anxious, tired, frustrated, defeated. Have you felt that way in this Christian life? You're like, I'm doing good this month, but man, I'm getting tired. Or I'm a little anxious. Or man, I just get my eyes off Jesus and I see the culture. I'm getting a little anxious. I'm looking at all this stuff going on. Where do we look when we're trying to continue on? Well, he says, look back to the Savior, we look forward to the gospel and the hope of Jesus' second appearing. He says, we, we marvel at him and what he has done and that helps train us in the life that we're living. He says, but when that training gets hard and when the temptations of the world and the pressures of the world and all this stuff comes on us and we're feeling frustrated or defeated or overwhelmed or weary, he says, look forward. He says, look forward because he's coming again. The one who saved you is going to return. And so he's pushing us to look on the horizon and not at what's right in front of us. He says, look forward to that blessed hope, the appearing of our Savior. Just a couple of verses. And now I'm not trying to get into rapture or second coming or anything like that with these verses. I'm just making the point that Jesus returns for, for us. He will come again. First Corinthians 15, verses 51 through 57. then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When that trumpet sounds, he will be coming back in glory. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And then Acts chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, we read this. And while they were gazing into heaven... As he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He comes back. Paul says, what do you do when you're getting tired? He says, look forward. Look forward. He's coming again. He will return. Our hope is on the horizon. He's changed us, and he's made us new, and he's coming back. So don't give up, don't grow weary, look forward. Verse 14, he says, this is Jesus who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So he recaps verses 11 and 12 and 13. Verse 11, he says, grace appeared. Verse 14, he says, Jesus gave himself to redeem us. In verse 12, he said, He is training us, verse 14, he says, to purify for himself a people. In verse 13, he says, we're waiting for our hope. In verse 14, he says, a people of his own possession who will be his. But then Paul adds an instruction for us, or rather an identifying marker, which we've already been talking about. He says that we will be people who are zealous for good works. So here's a definition of zeal. Passionate ardor. Now that word ardor means intensity of emotion, especially strong desire. In the pursuit of anything, we're talking about good works. Intense interest or endeavor, eagerness to accomplish or obtain some object. And that is, again, good works. So that's what zeal is, but he says we're going to be zealous. So I wanted to put that definition of zeal into the definition for zealous because he used to say, if you look it up, motivated by zeal it's like okay you know what i would have got marked points off if i gave a definition like that in school it's like define this and if i use the word to define the word i got a zero right come on dictionary.com help me out so i had to go back to zeal and i put this in filled with or motivated by zeal motivated by passionate intense and strong desire in all eagerness to accomplish good works and to continue and to pursue in the pursuit of good works. That's what he's saying. He's saying, as we're looking forward, as we're looking for that hope, he's put the zeal in us, this passion, this desire to do the kingdom of God work. Like, I want to see that happen. I want to see our community transformed changed. I used to say turned upside down, and John Kruger would say, you mean turned right side up, since we're already upside down. (laughs) I love John. It's like, you're right, John. I want to see it turned right side up, living in righteousness, living in right standing. I want to see that happen. How does that happen? By the church having zealous works, being zeal for God, going after those things. I think it's a good word for us today. Our culture has lost its ability to reason well. Let's just face it. We don't reason well. Most beliefs, most decisions appear to be driven by emotion or there's emotional reaction to someone's choices or bad logic. Feel like it's on both sides. We see bad logic and emotions and decisions being made and the other side says, how... Stupid is that. I can't believe that they did that. And then their emotion and is going the other way. And it's just like, oh, what do they need? They need to see a life that's changed. They're not reasoning. Our, our culture is not a reasoning culture at this time. You're not going to give them the four spiritual laws that used to work. But today, they need to see a life transformed. It's based in doctrine, but they need to see it lived out. Paul is not calling us to have it all together, okay? You don't have to be perfect to be living for God. He will be doing the changing. Philippians 1.6, is this reminder, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, that is God who began the good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He is changing you. He will bring it to completion. You keep walking in the transformation Showing a change to life. He continues to change it. And he will draw people to himself. So Paul is saying, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, be going after Jesus in everything. Live in front of the world the way he would have you live. Show that the gospel changes things. Speak about it. Invite others. Live it with them. Pursue good kingdom works and bring people to Jesus. I think of Philip bringing Nathaniel. I think of the woman at the well bringing the Samaritan town. I think of many of you and your neighbors. Just show of hands. How many of you, now you gotta, some of us have been a believer for quite some time, so I'm gonna ask you to think back here. How many of you, Came to church or came to faith because someone invited you to come to church. Just show hands. They invited you to be a part of something. It's a good majority, or at least half of us in here. Someone invited me. Someone said, Why don't you come with me? Why don't you come to this Bible study? Or why don't you. That's how I came to faith. I had guys in the dorm room next door saying, Rob, why don't you come to this Bible study? And I was like, nah. And they're like, well, the Bible says this. I'm like, show me. And eventually, they're like, come to the Bible study. I was like, okay. And then someone said, hey, come to church. And I was like, yeah, I want to go. Live it out. Tell them, come and see. That's what Paul's talking about here. So as we think about going into the new year, we are being encouraged to live a life that shows that Christ has changed us and inviting people to come into that life. Stand with me and we'll pray. Father, I'm just so thankful for how you have saved us through Christ, how you transform us, how you make us new. So God, I, I just pray that we would live a life that's just Submitted to Christ, that we would want to pursue our Savior with all that we have, with all of our heart, soul, mind, body, and strength. And that we would pursue our neighbors with the love of Jesus, by living for Jesus with them, doing good to them, caring for them, showing kindness, being patient. Walking in peace, inviting them to come and see. Jesus, we pray that you would transform Somerset, New Richmond, Osceola, Holton, all around us, because we're just living lives the way Titus is encouraging the church to live lives, that we're just living for Jesus with everyone around us. Father, I pray for those who are watching online that wherever they are, wherever you've planted them, that they would be living in such a way that they would be bringing people to Jesus saying, just come and see, just come and see. As we go into this.